Once Upon a Time, Season 5, Episode 19 is over, but we are just getting started here on Once Upon a Recap. Hello, all you magical people out there. My name is Mike Bloomer, the co-host of Once Upon a Recap, and I'm joined by a man who may or may not be his evil twin in disguise. I guess we'll find out over the course of this podcast. It's Kurt Clark. Kurt, are you really you? I'm actually an evil triplet. Oh, so is there? Is it like a spectrum? There's a neutral triplet, a good triplet, and a bad triplet, almost yeah. like the beginning of a Survivor Worlds Apart, supposedly? <laughs> exactly. Except I'm neither Breen's Beauty nor Braun. Um, none of the above. <laughs> none of the above. Uh, or, or in that case, you know, blue collar, yeah, blue collar, whatever. Um, no, it's kind of the good, the bad, and the ugly. And uh, I'll, I'm maybe getting two of the three in. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. You're, uh, it's like it's like 60-40. There we go, exactly. <laughs> Across all. So this is another interesting episode, Kurt. Uh, I'd say if we're looping this in with what we talked about last week, I feel like this is another episode that kind of threw away a little bit of plot in lieu of more character and emotional development. We saw the return of Korra. This was very centric on the relationship between Regina and Zelina. So just comparing it to the episode last week, Kurt, did you like this one more or less in comparison? I liked it more. I mean, it's hard to uh, it's hard for me to say just because I get an I'm biased towards the Oz storyline um, in terms of the setting. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, the, I, I liked the, the relationship and the character building here. There was, a, there was, I think even less uh, forward momentum of plot in this episode than last episode, but I like how they handled the relationships more in this episode than last episode. I would agree with that. And, you know, I was a, a fan of last week's episode, but I like this one even more just because I think my quibble with the Dorothy Ruby relationship was the fact that, we, we did not know Dorothy whatsoever, and we barely knew Ruby from the past two years on the show. And so I feel like they said, let's go back to the drawing board a bit. Let's really build on this relationship that is based in a number of complicated emotions in Regina and Zelina. Let's bring back Cora because we had Cora in the first episode of this half season, and she kind of disappeared. I didn't I don't remember if we thought she'd come back or if we just thought she'd sort of disappear and we'd say, oh, that's an excuse as to why they never talk to Cora anymore, but they're able to find her and she's able to make good and surprisingly ascend to Olympus, which I'm sure we will, we will talk about that last pivotal scene, yes. but I, I'll agree with you. I think, you know, I'm I, if I could take one, if the one good thing we get from this half season is that Zelina gets a redemption story and gets her character more fleshed out, I'll be completely satisfied with that because for one of the more over-the-top villains outside of Cruella de Vil in Once Upon a Time history. I think, you know, the writers have great material to work with and obviously a great actress in terms of really making her more of a person who got served a bad hand, basically. And we'll see how, over the course of this flashback, she might not, she might have had an opportunity to get a better hand at some point, maybe train in a couple cards, but Cora's uh, not a good dealer in that regard. Right. I think they've done a really good job between this episode and the last episode or two of painting Zelina as somebody who is at the very least seeking redemption. Um, I, I, the jury's out for me in terms of whether or not it will actually succeed. I think it's, it's, it'd be nice. And it seems to be building the story towards her eventually uh, doing good, uh, potentially even sacrificing herself uh, towards the end of the season uh, to complete a redemption arc. But you know, how many times in the early parts of once upon a time, did we see Regina kind of getting some of these same building blocks as looking like someone who was going to potentially be redeemed only to have something that the rug completely pulled out from under her and have her go back to 
square one again. So I could also see this potentially ending as, uh, you know, a big Jenga tower falling down of all this thinking that Zelina is going to get that redemption, but then something completely unexpected blindsides us and she's turned into like potentially more evil than she or more wicked uh, than she ever was before. So uh, I'm not, I'm not putting all my chips on that second scenario. I'm leaning towards the first and hoping for the first, but it's, I don't think it's out of the question that there, there might be a twist. So many casino metaphors in the past like five minutes on this. Yeah. Uh, if, maybe maybe next season they'll go to Las Vegas. I think, you know, last week we talked a little bit at the end of our podcast about this thought that Zelina might be the savior and specifically the one that will take Hades down. But maybe there'll be an ending in store. And I know I'm, I'm sort of skipping ahead to almost the end of our podcast here. Maybe there's a chance that Zelina, almost in a way that David did last week, sort of the position of guarding the underworld is vacant. Maybe Hades gets defeated somehow and one of them needs to stay behind. I could see Zelina, as you said, sacrificing herself almost a la Ingrid from season 4A and sort of biting that bullet and deciding to stay down there now that the love of her life is gone. Uh, Because... Yeah, there's there's been a lot of Zelina stuff, and I know Rebecca Mater is a new regular on the show, but you have to wonder, are they building a lot a lot of her up for a, a very short-term purpose or a very long-term purpose? So I can see the argument both ways. Yeah, and and the the arc that she was on and where that potentially takes her was completely disrupted at the end of this episode. So I think we'll, when we get to that, we'll kind of talk about what this potentially holds for Zelina. Before we jump into the episode proper, I do want to talk a little bit about a previous episode from last season that I feel like this is very comparable to. I mean, the title of this episode is called Sisters, and unfortunately, neither Tia nor Tamara Maori guest star on this, which severely disappointed me. Uh, but it's very comparable to the episode that was around this time last season called Mother. Now, I'm not sure you remember that episode, Kurt. That was that whole flashback sequence where on the anniversary of Daniel's death, Cora came to visit Regina and said, here, I'm going to make things right by you. I'm going to help you find your one true love. Let me help you with Robin Hood. And then it ends with them kind of, you know, having a falling out. Uh, this is that's when Regina drinks that potion that makes her infertile. Uh, and then in the present, they actually, Regina tries to get Isaac to write Zelina out of the story. And this is actually, this episode is not the first time that Zelina accuses Regina of acting like Cora because she does the exact same thing in that episode as well. So I, I, I didn't check to see if they were written by the same people, but I thought there were a lot of very interesting parallels in Cora's role in both this episode and that one from last season. A lot of parallels, but then also I think some major departures as, as we see towards the end of the episode. Definitely. And we, we'll see a major departure as well in Cora. So we'll, <laughs> we'll get to all that. Let's start with the flashback here. Uh, we get some young Regina, which I've only seen a few episodes of uh, the CW show Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, but I definitely recognized her. She plays uh, Rebecca Bloom's younger self. So I was waiting to see her break into song about how many friends she has. But alas, here she's just playing lonely in the palace with her doll. Um, Cora, who apparently is like ageless, <laughs> um, <laughs> Because I think the Miller's daughter, she she must have been what like in her she's supposed to be what like her in her twenties or something, and now I'm assuming she's a good amount older since Regina looks to be about seven to ten, and she still looks exactly the same. Yeah, I think I think um, once she's maybe come into her magic uh, a little bit more fully maybe i don't know maybe she's got some sort of red necklace on that we can't see uh deep oh boy (laughs) sorry won't won't go there Um, yeah exactly we're talking about another sunday night show kurt yes 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 one more wholesome quantico um oh boy (laughs) but uh yeah i i I wouldn't be surprised if it was a little bit uh, magic induced as well so 
Yeah, I could definitely. Well, I mean, it also plays as well. I mean, let's remember that Lana Perea play, is supposed to play Regina during the Daniel period when she's supposed to be like a teenager as well. So maybe there's just a magical dome over the Enchanted Forest in general and not the one that was, you know, cast over in season two uh, where they can, you know, where age is almost limitless or more stretched out where like a year is more like 10 years in terms of the way your skin ages but cora imparts her advice onto regina here when regina is basically asking for a playmate and cora says well no you're an only child because just like i was raised you can only depend on yourself Uh, but she decides that you know that's a good piece of advice but a better piece of advice would probably mean do not leave that key that leads to an ultra magical box in your desk and then walk away leaving your daughter in the room i'm gonna say something controversial here mike bloom um i normally don't like to use the podcast to take a political stance but again i really strongly believe in strong in in really firm wand wand control laws <laughs> um and i know that people who are part of the nwa out there are going to kind of take issue with that and have like the uh well know, well you said nwa you realize nwa <laughs> has a very different meaning in this world <laughs> national wand association right Oh boy, you need no? to see straight out of Compton, Kurt. Oh, hmm. is there is there a Compton version of uh, of uh, is there a Compton portion of Storybrook? Yes, <laughs> yes, very much. Actually, so. we'll, it's the, we'll, the poorest region of the Enchanted Forest. We'll, we'll actually talk about that when we get to the, the current storyline. Um, <laughs> but no, yeah, it, it's it seems like uh, uh, not the best can sh- like you know shelving and storage of the of the wand here this is how lots of kids are injured this way every year well Um, i think the the more egregious mistake on cora's part isn't now it's after this whole thing happens with regina the first time she does the exact same thing again she leaves us in the exact same spot but my impression was that and and we will get to i don't think the wand was in there anymore I think it was just the box and the thing. I think she put the potentially put the wand elsewhere. Otherwise, I agree. Like first, I was like, "Wait a minute!" She made the exact same mistake, and I was like, "My impression was that they didn't like open the box and look in it or anything." I don't think the I think the wand was maybe elsewhere. And but at the same time, yeah, lock the door. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Though apparently the box was enchanted with blood magic, yes. which again, when only your family is the one really allowed in this study, I don't understand why you would think that's protection enough, but who knows what, whatever your thoughts about Cora's overall attitude here of you should only rely on yourself. Is that in line with her character thus far in your opinion? Um, I guess so. It, it, it seemed like a little bit of a non sequitur in terms of a response to her daughter. Uh, like, will you play with me? Um, you have to rely on yourself. That's the one thing I learned. The only thing that got me through being a Miller's daughter. And I was like waiting for Regina to be like, um, so you'll play with me later then. <laughs> uh, Kurt, do you have, do you have siblings? Did your parents have a very similar conversation with you when you were a kid? I was, I grew up as an only child. Um, so I, I I've always been used to, uh, entertaining myself. Um, but I never had that, uh, uh, but that it, it never grew out of that as a conversation. Mm hmm. Okay, so uh, who knows? Uh, hopefully parents do not take this conversation as uh, inspiration to talk with their kids about why they can't have a brother or sister, especially not because when she leaves the room, Regina decides to sneak in, grabs the wand, and uh, blasts herself to high heaven, magically speaking, in that I wouldn't necessarily call it a sleeping curse, right? It's more like she's in a magical coma. <laughs> yeah, it was like um, like magical blowback uh, from the, the wand. Uh, I, I I really thought for a moment here that we were going to get a creepy alive doll 
Uh, oh, Talking the, Tina. <laughs> I thought we were going to get like Talking Tina for an episode and that it was going to be like really, really creepy. Um, luckily, it didn't go there. It looked like she, it did look like she was trying to turn the doll into her real sister. Yeah, um, I mean, I think I think that was her plan. So she yeah. said, OK, magical wand. But which, she's not, you know, she, yeah, she's not yeah. proficient at this point. And she, yeah, she hasn't been trained with Rumpelstiltskin yet. Uh, what did yeah. you think of this whole magical logic? And of course, there's always magical logic to come with this show right. that because Cora was the one who put the spell on the wand in the first place, she couldn't be the one to, to cast. She couldn't be the one to help her. So the only person that could help Regina out of her coma was someone who was magical, but hasn't harmed her as of yet. Yeah. I had the, the, the three rules were, uh, so she has someone who's one close to her or, or his family two has magic and three who hasn't harmed her. And that, those are kind of the, 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 the three circles in the Venn diagram of who can heal Regina. And that's that one little itty bitty thing in the very middle of the Venn diagram comes in Oz when Cora decides, okay, this is the path I need to take. Uh, she takes the yellow brick road, speaking of a path to Oz, <laughs> where she finds a young Zelina uh, using magic to stack wood with her woodcutter father. Let's remember that her mother was the one to convince her father to take her in a, uh, as a baby. And she died presumably at a young age, leaving her father very bitter and drunk and angry at Zelina for using magic. And we see it here as he is about to get quite abusive with her until Cora basically freezes him and says, Hey, uh, let me take you someplace where you're not going to see the receiving end of a stick. Again, not to get political, Mike Bloom, um, but magic shaming is really not something that uh, I, I condone. Uh, and I think if any kids out there are listening uh, and you're at school and you see somebody who's magic shaming someone else, you should really kind of be an advocate for that person to help them out of the situation. Have you seen the the YouTube video of uh, the one witch that was walking down the yellow brick road in Oz over the course of like eight hours? Then we got to see how magic shamed she was by all the munchkins and all the trees in Oz. <laughs> it's a great, it's a great yeah, one. Okay, you have okay. to see. <laughs> so I, I'm trying to remember here, Kurt. I mean, when Cora abandoned Zelina, she basically just put her down and the, the the cyclone took her away. Did she just make an assumption as to where she went? Did she have any sort of intel as to where Zelina might be? I'm trying to just put the pieces together at this point, because again, if we're talking about our painting timelines theory here, this is a wide, wide swath that this set of flashbacks is really trying to color in. This is obviously a combination of blood magic and a locator spell, Mike Bloom. I don't understand what the issue is. Oh, of course, of course. How could, <laughs> it's usually a locator spell. Yeah. Um, and and I, I wouldn't doubt if there was enough familiarity with portals that, oh, Cyclone probably equals us. I think we've kind of figured that out. Core probably knew where she was. And in terms of specifically tracking her down, I'm just going to chalk it up to a locator spell and some blood magic. Yeah, that works. That works. So let's see the two young sisters seeing each other for the first time. It feels like the first time, um, Zelina is instructed to heal Regina. I thought it was interesting that she uses green magic. That's almost like foreshadowing as to the green that will literally overtake her as their relationship kind of sours. And yeah. Regina wakes up and Cora introduces her to the girl whose magic saved you from yourself. <laughs> yeah, it's a little passive aggressive there, Cora. <laughs> yeah, just a tiny bit, considering that, again, you were the one that left the key in the drawer. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I, I did like the whole. Um, so what I'm about to walk you through, Zelina, is very complicated. So I'm going to go. Oh, <laughs> never mind. You got this. All good. <laughs> yep. exactly. Now, speaking of which, um, I like on, that our, moment. on our spectrum here of child actors on Once Upon a Time, where do the child actors for Zelina and Regina 
fall for you because this next scene that we're gonna get is the two of them you know complete with sloppy lipstick and tiaras playing playing princess together god it was like rejected extras from the walking dead it it was was like i don't need that would you know talking tina would have been preferable that was a little that was almost too much for me um um this is me trying to figure out how to put a soft edge on a sharp knife. Um, <laughs> well, I would say on a, on a scale of Pinocchio to young Snow White, where does this fall? <laughs> Pinocchio. Uh, <laughs> um, I'm going to, I'm going to say uh, potentially I'm going to go uh, left of center in terms of a little bit more towards Pinocchio. I'm actually going to put Henry just right of center. Uh, so, um, yeah, I'm I'm giving it a, a scale from like zero to ten. I'm going to give them like a like four. Yeah, see, I, I'm probably a little warmer on them than you are. I think, you know, I I don't know if the writing of the characters were fantastic, but I think they they played it well, and I especially think young Regina actually embodied her older self uh, a a little bit, especially when we get to this part where she like almost immediately figures out that, Hey, you were able to open the wand box, Selena. It's only opened by blood magic. That must mean you're related to me some way. I feel like that's adult Regina's intuition right there. So I I have to give those actors credit. And I, and and it's interesting to note. And it's something that we, I think we, um, we need to start to keep track of this in future seasons is it seems that like it's always around like episode 19 or like the episode that's like, you know, maybe potentially like three episodes from the end. That's where people suddenly start figuring out things really fast and don't need the dots connected for them anymore. And we saw it in the, I mean, and not so much in the flashback, but a, a little bit like, like you just said, but I think even in the modern storyline too, there was a lot of, uh, uh, you know, when we get to Regina, it's like, when we get to Zelina figuring out that the Regina was spying on her in hate, he's like, there's, there's a lot of people get really smart three episodes from the end of the, of the season or from the, or yeah, the mid season. Though I would say Zelina has actually always kind of been a smart character. I mean, let's remember true, true. at the end of the dark Swan stuff, like she was the one that basically came in with the dream catchers and essentially had spilled the entire thing about how hook had become the dark one, but she was only gone for like five minutes and she essentially got all this information. So I think that's something that her and Regina and in a way Cora all kind of shares that they do have a good amount of intelligence, but I will agree. I think when it comes to the other heroes, your mileage may vary. I will point out yet again, uh, the heroes have gotten no steps closer to getting out of the underworld. Luckily not to spoil too much about next week. It looks like they're finally taking the precautions to do so, but yeah, jury might still be out on the other guys. Yeah. And then I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about that when we get to the, the current day. So let's finish up our flashbacks here where the sisters come to Cora and basically ask for the truth. Cora gives away the truth, but she admits that if people find out about Zelina, everything I will have been working for on Regina will have been for naught. I mean, this is a medieval society, even though they are both women. Zelina is the firstborn, so you'd have to assume that all this stuff that Cora was trying to get for Regina, a.k.a. to you know, marry rich, become a queen essentially and rule over a land would be completely underwritten, or at least it would be temporarily derailed because Zelina would have the precedence. So I can sort of understand Mm -hmm. it, but it's still a little extreme uh, to watch, you know, two guards drag away a girl while both of them are screaming their heads off. Yeah. And the, the tie back to the whole, um, like, does this make you happy? Well, that disappoints me. What did I teach you? You shouldn't depend. Your happiness shouldn't depend on others. Or, but it, it seemed a little bit forced. Like the, 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 that whole moral uh, uh, that that Cora was trying to teach Regina, tying it back in here seemed a little bit forced. Um, and I think this is where 
uh, it, it maybe you know, Cora was, you know, evil at this point. Um, like uh, it seems like she could have maybe more gently said, Oh, now that your sisters, let me help you host a tea party and I'll pour the tea, which she kind of, you know, does a little bit in the modern day thing. Um, but like it's, it, she didn't have to be so mean having the, the guards drag away Zelina and, you know, and verbally berating Regina. It's just like, you know, just find a, a more subtle way to slip them the the uh, the leafy water. Um, yeah, that, that's that's a very good point, because I feel like Re- Cora is a little more Machiavellian yeah. overall uh, in her manipulations. And here she is very, very brunt. Maybe she's doing it too really, as we talked about before, teach a lesson to Regina to sort of, you know, almost bring Zelina out in the courtyard in front of her and say like, Hey, this is what you do when you try to, you know, make yourself happy almost in a, in a blunt way of saying things. But yeah, usually she's a lot more subtle like that. I could definitely see what you were talking about where like the two of them would be playing and then Cora would try to like slip the rivers, the water from the Lethe into it's like, oh, Gatorade break. Come on, girls. Got to keep yourself hydrated. Oh, you forgot each other. Great, Zelina. We're taking you back to Oz. And guess what? Lesson forgotten, too. Like, you know, you made a point of drilling the whole don't take other people or don't depend on other people for your happiness. You know what? Now they don't remember that. <laughs> yeah. And I actually did like, you know, the one of the mantras of once upon a time is I will always find you. And we get a little bit of a, a warped sense of it here when in Regina vows, I will always find you because we're sisters, right. uh, which again is, is rather ironic because at this point, even though Zelina and Regina are slowly but surely building up that aforementioned Jenga tower of a relationship, it is very, very shaky. Yeah, it's, it's not, it's not going well. <laughs> no, they're essentially building it on the San Andreas fault. Yeah. So let's jump into modern day storybook. And I want to focus first on the meat of the episode on this Regina, Zelina, Cora stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's start with our Hades date here, Kurt. Uh, how romantic to you is going out into the middle of a graveyard, digging a fire pit and having a picnic? And, and probably just having to dig the pit and have the flames just suddenly erupt from the ground, too. I mean, you're not going to have to do much in the way of kindling. Well, I think um, they, they probably didn't show, and the widescreen version probably has the corpse that's on the side from where they, they, they had to exhume in order to put the fire pit in. Wait, we've seen precious few corpses for this being on the... So I think I think that would have been, been safe. We've seen Graveyard. Um, yeah, it's, you know, it's, more, it's more of a metaphorical thing. Right. And still, there's those, like, those smoking tower vent things are even out here in the middle of nowhere um uh, if I, you, you know those things that we, we've seen in them all around town with the mm-hmm. and if i think is i didn't know what those were until i was in new york for know-it-alls uh, a couple yep. weeks ago i had never seen those. that it's basically like it's as it's common vent. as hot dog carts and as much of a trademark of new york as the statue of liberty essentially yeah. um i i did this is where this is where i always like being reminded of the story that there, which makes you think there's probably a, a Compton section of, of Storybrooke is they when they were kind of on that bluff overlooking the city, I forget it's, it, it's, it's a city. It's not a town. It's, it was huge in terms of, yes, we just kind of saw the, the points of light from windows and from stores. And, um, and, and yes, this is the, the underworld, but it's supposed to kind of mirror, you know, real life storybook. I keep forgetting how expansive this, this, this town actually is. And I, and I always love that when we get reminded of that, I always find that amusing. Yeah, I mean, we always talk about how huge Storybrooke is. I guess because it's it's basically literally a copy and paste of Storybrooke, we sometimes forget about the scope of everything. But we're going to go out into the middle of the woods as well this week. So really, it's as giant. You know, I, I joked about how there was no Canada last week on Once Upon a Time, that theoretically Storybrooke was so big it could basically take up the entirety of the Canadian landmass. 
Uh, but it's it's quite. I mean, it's it's basically a TARDIS. It's much bigger on the inside than you initially expect. Phrasing. <laughs> so. <laughs> Last week, I know I was very much about like, okay, now I think Hades is actually sincere and wants to be with (laughs) Zelina. But Kurt, I am swinging back right over to the other side because I don't know. After this week, and especially with this first scene when he says like, you know what? I don't even care about the underworld anymore. I'm just going to go up with you to Storybrooke and I'm going to make you happy. Like, I I have to think he has ulterior motives now. Yeah, it's, 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 although, you know, and I don't know how much of it Zelina plays into like the story he's trying to tell, but you know, Zelina... Uh, says that um, you know we you know the my sister and her friends even if we were to go get to Storybrooke they we you know they wouldn't be happy with with us there as well I, I've taken care of that um, or I can take care of that um, so it's it's we are starting to see a plan unfold is it the plan was it the long term plan is it a a is there something deeper there. Um, I'm I'm still not entirely sure. I mean, we're we're not quite at the part part yet where you know his heart has to start beating. Uh, so you know he can't escape just yet. There still has to be that that moment where he he gets his heart beat back. Um, but yeah, I I don't I don't know. It's yeah, I keeps I also keep swinging back and forth. Um, and yeah, it, I did I didn't like the it, it, the whole. Oh, after the little switcheroo where they scratched off Snow White's name and put in Prince Charming's name, uh, he says that, you know, he just put all their names on tombstones just to be done with it. It's like that seemed a little bit convenient, like he could have just done that yeah. from the beginning. But um, uh, yeah, I'm not I'm, I'm not sure like how we see him at the very end of the episode in Granny's Diner makes me does make me think that he's sincere or, or does he want his cake and the eat it too? Or like, you know, can he, can he have the girl and the storybook? Um, so I'm not exactly sure. Uh, it's a, it's a little bit like shades of gold. He wants the power and he wants the girl. Yeah. A couple things on that. First, in terms of the, everyone now has a tombstone thing, which sounds like the worst Oprah episode ever. <laughs> you um, get a tombstone and you get a tombstone. Uh, I, I agree. I, it does sound convenient, though. At the same time, I mean, I feel like the reason why Hades only put Snow and Emma and Regina's names on the tombstones in the first place was to try to attempt to sow the seeds of dissent, to try to make them turn against each other. And maybe when he realized that that failed, he decided to sort of wipe the slate clean. But yeah, it's a little bit of a short sign on his part that he didn't realize that that sort of loophole could happen. Though we'll talk about whether that loophole is actually... Uh, is actually achievable on paper later on yeah this also brings up the question this whole you know i need to have my heart beat again i forget if we talked about this in our decay when the idea first got brought up but are we to assume that hades used to be a mortal and then zeus made him an immortal god because if so that completely changed i mean that's completely against the greek mythology that's more so like jack drinking the the water from the island on lost in order to become the protector in that he was a mortal man who was then almost like the author was sort of given this responsibility no no i think we're to believe that zeus punished him caused his heart to stop beating and that's what drove him to the uh, to be Lord uh, okay. of the un- Lord of the underworld and to basically just have domain there. Um, okay. I think, I think we're to assume that Zeus and the other gods have beating hearts, uh, so to speak, or that anybody. Yeah. Um, that, that, that totally makes sense. Yeah. Uh, another thing that 
I, I think we got a clarification on. I think last week at the end we talked a little bit about like, well, you know, if Hades leaves the underworld, will it disappear? Well, how, yep. what exactly is the connection between that? But Hades does clarify here, and again, maybe he's lying to get what he wants, but he does say here, even if I leave, the underworld will still be here. Yeah, I mean, it could very well be that he's like lying. Like he wouldn't. I think he probably senses that Zelina's growing closer to her sister. And I think the last thing you want to do is, is like, okay, yeah, if we leave here and they're still here, they're all going to be basically, uh, you know, vaporized or whatever happens to us all. Um, so yeah, so I, I, I tend to take what he said at face value that the, the underworld will continue to exist, uh, without him there. Um, but I guess there's a small sliver of a chance that he's actually lying to, uh, save face with Zelina. I just realized that Regina's entire standpoint this episode is basically a condensed version of bros before hoes. Mm, Regina's? Yeah, I mean, when she comes here, Regina says essentially like, well, because Hades basically gives her an ultimatum. He says, pick your sister or pick me. Oh, you mean mean sisters before misters? Yes, I'm sorry. Uh, okay. I, I did not take the female <laughs> variant of that phrase. Okay. I was like, wait, she's not telling her to go with with uh, uh, Hades? Wait, no, that's not how... It, okay, I'm confused. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so that's essentially Regina's point of view here. And she says it when Zelina appears and Regina was using the magic mirror that Zelina had last episode to see what was going on. Zelina tries to save face a little bit by saying, you know, I didn't say yes to his proposal, though I didn't say no. And Regina, I wasn't a big fan of Regina this episode, mm. Kurt. She's one of my she's one of my favorite characters, and I thought she was a little bullheaded here, especially here when she calls Hades a villain. Which, hello, Misty, let's rewind your story <laughs> arc for the past like three seasons. Uh, you realize that calling someone a villain is a very, very broad and very uh, almost stereotyped focus to give somebody. Yeah, and, and quite a lot of. Uh galt is you know say you know i forbid you from seeing him again like yeah. you you know you, you can't really do that and uh, yeah i think i think that zelina was a little off base saying well you know you and robin hood help each other out and <laughs> not quite apples to apples there but uh, yeah. she but she does i mean, I think this is where i really start to see this episode and we even did see it i think in previous episodes but this episode zelina really does seem to think there's a possibility for hades to change and for him to uh for her to kind of be a role that gets him to act in a more positive light and for her to potentially get a happy ending herself yeah though again regina is basically in the realm of no he's evil you're in trouble girl stay away and Zelina playing the you're acting like a mother card i think hits it very close to home as well from a myriad of point of views i mean yeah. Selena didn't really have a mother growing up. We'll face that with Cora here. But looking at from Regina's point of view, I mean, her son is basically off doing God knows what in his room, writing things. And the baby that she's sort of a stepmom to is in the middle of the woods. So she basically has nobody to mother after raising a kid for essentially 10 years. So maybe she's trying to displace that a little bit onto Zelina as well. Yeah, potentially, potentially. So Regina recants the situation to the other heroes. Uh, Hook is <laughs> very, very going back to maybe, and maybe there's a little bit of underworld still kind of residing in him as he, his immediate solution is to just kill Zelina, but everyone else decides, okay, we just need to get to get someone who can get between Zelina and Hades, which is her birth mother. Yeah. Cora is going to stop the quantum entanglement. <laughs> 
Oh, good, good, good luck. Uh, I'll, I'll throw the the golden bell stuff in here right yeah. now, just because it's like it's like one little scene in the thing that we'll get in the end. Where what did you think about Gold's sort of bedside declaration to Bell that he's going to fix things? Uh, but I'm don't want to let you down. But hey, I'm not going to use light magic. We're doing things my way. I'm perfectly fine with it. And I think I've said this over a couple episodes is that I think that Bell's being very, very restrictive in terms of what she. Uh, how she wants things to be handled. And again, we've, we've talked a little bit about you know, the difference between, you know, are you using light magic or dark magic? And does it matter if you're doing it for the right or the wrong reasons? And, uh, and, or what the, what the end result is, do the ends justify the means? But yeah, it's time for me to fix this my way, not your way. I'm sorry, but you know what? I'm going to save our child. I'm going to do it my way. So boom, I'm going to do it. I'm I do. Yeah. I do like in once upon a time that, the need for characters to come and like declare what they're going to do to their comatose oh, yeah. significant others. I mean, Bell did the exact same thing to gold earlier on in this season when he was comatose himself. And I know it's, it's a, that's a little bit more of it. One of its more soapy tropes, but I always like that, you know, it's, it's very expository in that he's going to sit down and say, all right, just to clear my conscience, uh, I'm not going to do anything you wanted me to do. Well, technically he's told her and she just can't talk back, right? Exactly. <laughs> well, you didn't, you didn't say no. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> let's go to our underground flour mill here curtain our very short-lived escape from cora now when we last saw cora uh the the heroes did not know that she had been consorting with hades they didn't know that hades was behind her machinations that episode uh, and hades had turned her into the the miller's daughter so that we we assume that she would just kind of be in the background and nobody would notice so they sort of gloss over this do we have any idea as to how the heroes knew where cora was and what she was doing Hmm, that's Locate, a really locator good question. Spell? Locator spell, blood magic. <laughs> Perfect. All right. Check it off. That question's been answered now. I mean, because they found her, locator spell, and they're related through blood in, in, in several ways, uh, I'm sure. Uh, so uh, potentially could use that to, tr- to track it down. Um, and maybe it's, it's, I think in this air in this town if people disappear maybe they, they, they assume they're kind of in the uh underground part of the underworld um yeah you know what there could just be people that they ask around as well i'm not sure what, what confused me the more blind, was, the blind the blind witch probably knows right the, actually you know what that's actually probably even like a better answer um but these two random thugs in leather jackets kind of confused me <laughs> hey you better mill that wheat girl <laughs> yeah um hmm I, th- I thought they were leftover pirates at first from the from the jewel of the realm but no i think because they were kind of dressed like them but i think they were just randos yeah they were uh they responded to a a craigslist request for thugs <laughs> for nameless thugs to stand around and berate the miller's daughter yeah because you want it's like she's got she's got this punishment and yeah i guess she could just stop and it's it but now these they're, they're there to enforce things definitely but uh Force them no longer as Cora is able to easily escape when it seems like I guess Hades had put those uh, those magic preventing gauntlets on her. And so once she got hooks hook, she was able to cut through it. And the two of them saw, saw each other for the first time in a very long time, because let's remember Hook had been in Hades clutches basically the entire time and hadn't really seen Cora. But did this bring up back fond season two memories for you? Um, kind of, I had to think back to when they had last seen each other. Um, 
that hook's been enchanted an awful lot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I mean, he used it a couple episodes ago. Well, yeah, but between like being enchanted to remove uh, hearts, hearts yeah. and then being enchanted to write names and tombstones, I, it can, I, and I don't know if like enchanting it with one thing removes the enchantment from the other thing. And, uh, and you know which which part of the magic was it that was it the uh, remove things from things part of the magic or was it the uh, scratch things in the underworld part of the magic that helped or was it a combination? Um, but it's a, it's a resilient hook. It's a resilient hook. Definitely a resilient hook because I can't remember if there were any moments where people said, "Okay, this hook no longer has that power." You know, so maybe it was a deleted scene or something. I, I completely forgot about. But we have to assume that basically, unless otherwise said, the hook has the power to both remove hearts and to basically change over those only those three tombstones that Hades created. Though maybe, you know, since all those other tombstones were created with under Hades' power, maybe Hook can do that as well. Yeah, possibly. Uh, or there's other spells in there that we just don't know about. Mother and daughter are reunited here. Let's talk a little bit about the River Lethe. Now, we saw it a little bit beforehand, uh, though it's interesting, you know, when you look back to the Greek mythology, I believe the Lethe gets mixed up with... Uh, I think Acheron, it might be like, ha- ha- Acheron here is different, is actually the River Lethe in Greek-, Greek mythology. So the names are mixed up a tiny bit, almost like a, a loss in translation. But for this show, the River Lethe is the river of forgetfulness. Right. And there's a series of books that I had used to read where I remember there was Lethe water there and it was water that would make you forget things. So it's definitely drawn from uh, mythology in terms of connecting it to forgetfulness. Not a good thing on Cora's part here saying, Cora, listen, mum's the word. You don't need to say, oh, yes, this water reminds me of a fond time when I used this water on someone else. Oh, don't worry about who it was at all. I, I and we knew. Yeah, we knew that that was going to come back. <laughs> yeah, you, uh, it was definitely enough of a foreshadowing. You didn't need to cast a further shadow over it. Yeah. So it was, you know, it's I figured, you know what? We'll get there. This episode, probably, <laughs> especially, yeah, especially given how much of the flashback we've seen already. It's like, OK, obviously we'd seen at this point in the flashback that Zelina and uh, and Regina had met before and they didn't seem to have any recollection of this childhood together. So, you know, it's going to be coming later in the flashback. Definitely. What did you think about this Cora and Zelina conversation when she comes over to the farmhouse? This is the first time Zelina has finally, for years, sought to finally meet her birth mother. Here she is. What are your overall thoughts about this first meeting? <laughs> the fact that she just slammed, or tries to slam the door in Cora's face. Yeah. Well, that's hard to do when you're, you know, when someone has mastered the art of magic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or at least Aloha Mora. Yeah. I guess it's. I don't know it. I, I I liked at least the general tenor of the conversation. Although, you know, in the back of my head, I'm thinking, you know, it, it it's unfortunate that she seems to only be doing it to distract uh, Zelina so that, that Regina can poison her. Um, you know, where things end up going in terms of memory restoration, that could have potentially been something that uh, was done from the get go. It, 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 it was only done after she was found out. We can talk about that a little bit later, but I, I guess it's, it's, it was nice that the conversation was being had, but I wish it had been uh, not being had in terms of as a, uh, a screen for something else. Exactly. When they started talking and you realized that 
Cora was doing this as a way to, as you said, sort of buy time or have a reason for Zelina to get a drink of water almost, which she almost could have said like, hey, Zelina, let's go to the spa or go into the sauna for a couple of hours. Or, or I'm going to leave the kitchen to get you a glass of water. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's that's a little awkward. Smell. I mean, I know the tap water in the underworld is probably not the most safe, but still, <laughs> but, that was a, a little sketchy. That, 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 then the glass of water that just had me sitting in the other room was perfectly good. <laughs> but you have to wonder, again, sort of like we talked about with Hades at the beginning of this story, how much were Cora's words sincere? Because she's talking about how, look, I know why you're you want to seek love with this man because you're probably seeking to fill a hole in your heart from my abandonment. Uh, you know, I realize my unfinished business isn't Regina, but it's you. And again, I think this kind of held true and coalesced in her eventual redemption here. But at the time, I was wondering, OK, are you just talking out of your ass here just to get the, to the eventual level of Zelina asking for a glass of water? <laughs> it, uh, it, it's. And I, and I don't completely know, to be honest. Um, it was one of those things where like everything that she could be perfectly describing what's true uh, is, is, I guess, being like the difference between like uh, empathetic and apologetic. It's like, I understand that you feel the way that you feel because of something I did. Um, and then it's kind of like there's like that long kind of pause there. And, you know, Zelina says that it's kind of a really strange exchange because the thing is like, I'm over it. And Cora calls her. Well, you're probably not really over it. Are you, you really want me to say sorry? And well, are you okay? Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, I, I didn't necessarily buy it completely. Um, it wasn't until after she had been caught red handed that I felt that some of Cora's true emotions and feelings came out. I completely agree. The worst part of it was that, after this heartfelt declaration, the two of them hug, you have a shot of Cora looking at Regina and it's almost like her wiping away a crocodile tear. Yeah. Though again, I guess those words did hold true, but at the time they were said, I was thinking, okay, this is just part of, you're basically just talking her up, buttering her up in order to kind of put her in the oven, metaphorically speaking. Yeah. Yeah. Put her, yeah. Buttering up, put, you say put her in the oven. <laughs> is, yeah, this, the blind, is, this, is this Hansel and Gretel? <laughs> the blind witch came in, comes yeah. in and that's, that's the second part of the plan. Okay, good, good, good. So, as you know, they try to carry out this water switcheroo, Zelina sees right through it, and they sort of hash things out a little bit. Um, Zelina accuses both Cora and Regina from being cut from the same dark cloth. It seems like we're almost getting back to season three and four, Zelina, of absolutely hating her family and lashing out against them to the point of where we're almost about to see a, a magical firefight here. But oh, then yeah. Cora surprisingly is the one to quell things and bring the sisters together. Yeah. It's this, it's this point where like Regina's like, okay, let's dance, witch. Um, and they're about <laughs> to like, you know, have like, you know, magical, you know, rumble. Um, yeah. This is where Cora, I think you, this is where for me, she really started to feel and seem genuinely, uh, uh, you know, apologetic and sorry for like how things turned out, seeing her daughters just about to go at each other tooth and nail. And I can totally understand that. You know, you might argue that we'll definitely argue about whether Cora's later on deserved redemption, uh, deserved to go one way rather than the other at the sorting pit. But here you can definitely, I could definitely understand why she would have a sudden epiphany watching her two daughter, adult daughters right there in front of her and realizing the horror she has caused on both of these women by the action she's imparted on them throughout their respective childhoods. I can totally see where she puts two and two together there. But again, when you compare that to when she was talking to Zelina and you have to think, okay, she's sort of talking out from one side of her mouth here. I did have a little bit of trepidation until we went to the sorting pit. 
<laughs> yeah. It, should we? Do we want to jump to the sorting pit? Are yeah, we, let's. Okay? <laughs> yeah, let's jump to the sorting pit. I mean, there is a thing here where you know we talked about getting memories back. The dream catcher seems to be the one big method we've seen this season, though. I guess another one is just standing, holding hands with your mother. She'll, she just sort of manually returns the memories to them, um, and she again profusely apologizes, and she affirms that you know no matter what, what may happen, you two are magically connected which i think they sort of used in a variance at the end of season three or the season four where they said like hey you know no matter how evil she may be she's going to be connected to to regina in some sort of way which makes me wonder a little bit if there had to be a uh, some kind of magical spell that included the water as an ingredient as a key ingredient a necessary Mm -hmm. ingredient uh because i wonder like how otherwise was uh is and because because Cora had cast the spell uh, back when they were kids, was she then able to cancel its effects out, or did she simply kind of uh, override the magical effects of the water with her own magic? Um, but either way, she yeah, she's able to, um, to to clear up the foggy fogginess. Yeah, maybe it was like a pensive, where she sort of yes uh, was a repository of the memories themselves. She sort of like stored them from the water, however that may have been. Uh, and she was able to basically return them because they were sort of in her head the entire time. Yeah, possibly, possibly. So let's go to the sorting pit here. It's been a few episodes since we've seen it. Everyone else has sort of been thrown into the, the into the river of uh, lost souls, though. We'll definitely get our share of that this episode. And Cora seems to be at peace. She's ready to face whatever, whatever judgment may come to her now that her two daughters are together. Uh, Cora and Regina say hi and bye to each other basically in the span of 24 hours, which I'm assuming must be very emotionally tumultuous. So we get a little bit of a fake out here, Kurt. Uh, Cora walks down the bridge, or the the cliff, I should say, and we think initially that a fire swirls around her, but no. Olympus opens up. We have a couple questions about this, Kurt. Uh, Jeffrey K. asks, are you buying Cora going to the light? How evil do you have to be to go down? Again, phrasing. And our, our own Once Upon a Recap fact checker asks, did the sorting pit betray us by letting Cora move on? I want to see her get her comeuppance. So we've seen a good amount of characters. I think actually the uh, the the rebellious captain from the, the Brothers Jones was the only person who got sucked down the other way. Pretty much everyone else has taken the good path out of the underworld. Do you buy Korra getting this redemption at this moment? I was expecting it to go the other way. Um, and, and, and I had, and I was trying to think back to the other episodes. Like, is that, is that, that flame that rise from the pits? Is that kind of the, like the, the, the sensor is that, is that is kind of like a scanning, scanning Cora. And it's like, once that gets his job done, it kind of determines, okay, you're either moving upward or you're moving downward. Uh, that's, that's how I was kind of like looking at it and wondering, I don't know if that's like the right answer. I was trying to put you know logical sense to the process that we were seeing here. So that, I, cause I didn't want to believe that it was just like a fake out. Um, but it, it, it upon there were several kind of beats leading up to it that would have made it seem weird if she had been cast downward. But I think she could have, if she had, if she, if it had been like her, you know, screaming in agony as she was dragged, dragged downward, that would have been, I think the wrong way for it to go. I think she could have been like, um, held her head up high as she, uh, as, you know, accepts her fate. And even though, you know, she, she did what she did needed to do to move on. Uh, she's still in some, uh, kind of weighed out towards the negative side of things. Uh, but I, I, I did also kind of think or expect this, that she would potentially go the other way. 
Yeah, I mean, I think this is a case of where a Western depiction of the afterlife says, you're going to go somewhere. I mean, the Egyptians said your your good actions and bad actions would basically be weighed on a big yeah. scale and whether they tipped one, one way or the other. But the way they're building the underworld here in this show is that essentially when you get into the underworld, your slate is wiped clean, except for your unfinished business. And since Korra was able to bring her daughters together and have her unfinished business completed, then she moves on, despite all the other bad stuff she did in her life before dying, which I think is just such an interesting take on the afterlife, almost like a very... A very existential take almost that like what you did above the, the underworld doesn't matter at all it's only what you do here that's going to send you one way or the other second chances yeah it's essentially <laughs> second chances uh so second chances and unfinished business it's like we're bringing all of these themes from uh, different reality shows into one scripted show i so what would we say who did cora compare to here with her second chance that she did a lot of really bad things but she was able to redeem herself and was able to find salvation at the end um, I would have to say, uh, gosh, it's the, 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 there's, there's like somebody that's like in my periphery who I can't quite put a finger on in terms of, of, of the name that I'm looking for. Um, what about like Jerry Manthe? Yeah, that's, I think that's, that's close. I think, I think that that's really, really close. If not spot on. I, I, yeah, I, where, where she was, she was a huge villain that everyone hated, but she was able to like gain a nice side kind of came, not necessarily came to her senses, but sort of warmed up to the audience. And at the end of the day, she, she went out with her head held high. Yeah. I, I think that there's probably more, um, redeemed males than females on survivor only because the males often find themselves in greater need of redemption. <laughs> yes. Very true. <laughs> disavow uh, disavow um so but yeah I, I could i could buy that yeah it's just an interesting concept to me that i feel like this was really the tone setter in that no matter how evil you can be i mean we could we can probably talk at the end of this episode about whether we'll see peter pan go one way or the other but people like peter pan and cruella who have you know killed people in the past and betrayed their family members could still by doing a couple of nice things down in the underworld still ascend to Mount Olympus. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a little bit of a, I don't know if I completely uh, agree with this approach slash loophole. I think what I was more interested to see was because I think what we've seen is that, um, as people move on to a better place, it kind of changes itself to pick, to depict their own background. We saw Hercules and Meg go on to Olympus. I believe when, um, uh, when Hook's brother moved on, it was kind of a more of a seascape. Um, and I was hoping to see, so it's, and there's kind of lots of works of fiction where, you know, the afterlife takes the shape of whatever you expect it to be. And so I was wondering what, uh, what Cora's afterlife was going to be, but it was just blinding white light. We didn't actually see any images in there, any, any, any differing images. So that I was a little bit disappointed in. Maybe it was like a kingdom because wasn't yeah, that teenage Cora's biggest dream and everything that she worked towards was trying to become royalty. Yeah. And it's, yeah, yeah, it could be. Um, it's sort of like, it's sort of like what dreams may come. It's trying to see what would your personal heaven be? Yeah, exactly. I'm surprised that, uh, you know, King Henry wasn't there waiting for her. Yeah, that's very true. They seem, I mean, they, I know she was kind of working, she was kind of holding his life hostage last time they saw each other, but who knows? Maybe they would have made things up at Olympus. Hopefully. Now, before we get to this last scene in the return of Peter Pan, I I do want to talk about our other sibling-related storyline here, which is David versus James, and 
you know, there are soapy elements in Once Upon a Time, as I mentioned before. This is definitely one of the most soapy moments, in my opinion, the evil twin showdown. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I, I honestly, I liked it. I, I thought that it, I thought that it actually was well done. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I thought it was fun. And again, I'm, I say this time and time again. I'm always a proponent of giving Snow White and David things to do because unfortunately when they're together, they sort of become a, one appendage of the story where they're just sort of there and will do things that are convenient towards the plot. Whereas here we get, we get some character moments. We yeah. saw James briefly in the first episode of this half season, but otherwise not really. And now we get to see the two brothers really throw down. Yeah, the shepherd versus the prince. Absolutely. Uh, coming next on WrestleMania 35. So David's walking through Main Street with, I guess, groceries, which again, why are you not working to get out of the underworld instead of going shopping? But it's, it seems like it looks like he was trying to uh, just get supplies to give to baby hood later on. I, I had the same judging uh, tone as well in my notes. So so don't feel bad. <laughs> so what are you so, doing? So James pulls up and David remember that David a few episodes ago had this conversation with Corella where Corella says, Hey, the reason why James hates you is because, you know, he thinks that you basically took the life that he wanted though. James quickly throws that out the window and says, you know, I hate you because you stole my glory and everything that I was. Do you, do you buy this or do you think there's still an inkling of what Corella was talking about in that psychology of his? Um, I think it's probably a mix of both. I think you raise a good point. It's, it's, uh, you know, I'm sure that, and also that one drives the other because, you know, you know, technically, um, you know, David missed out on a lot as well. Uh, and, but he's not, you know, bitter. It's, I, I don't know. It's yeah. And he raises a good point. He's like, James got himself killed out of kind of out of his own stupidity. It's like, cause it didn't, it didn't really do any, yeah. have anything to do with him. Um, yeah, he's, he's, he said, I could face down this behemoth on my own. Oh wait, it just totally squashed me. Yeah. And it's like, you, he David didn't steal James's glory. James died and David picked up the glory that was kind of just lying there. It's like when you die and if you ever played gauntlet, you die and then there's a, all the gold you've collected is right there in terms of your character. But if another character can just come pick it up. <laughs> yeah. It's like there was a hole of glory almost. And there was just a really big glory hole there. And James, James was, was missing that glory hole and now he gets to fill it. Moving on. <laughs> so we get our first, I don't even almost call it our first brother fight here because it's literally David saying, well, I'm going to fight you. James saying, well, you realize I'm dead. So I have an inherent advantage above you. David says, well, I'm going to reach for this piece of wood. And James just tases him. Exactly. Don't tase, don't tase me, bro. Literally <laughs> closed captioning said electricity crackles. <laughs> <laughs> Organs shudder. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, a little, unfortunately a little pathetic on David's part. Now we get another trope of the evil twin pretending to be the good twin here and that we have James masquerading as David. Uh, hey Emma, remember that superpower of you being able to yep. detect lies? <laughs> that would really come in handy here this week. Match game. Ding, 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 ding. Um, I'm going to say something very controversial here, Mike Bloom. What's that? Emma, you're already, you're already talking about wand controls. I don't know how much more controversial you can get. Emma is completely useless this half season completely useless. She used mm. to be the star of the show and she has done the only useful thing she's done is basically go through the gates of hell and free hook from that useless bond villain trap where he was being lowered into a pit at like the rate of one millimeter per hour. Um, and, and even then anybody could have done that. She has done nothing useful this episode. Bring it listeners. I'm 
I mean, I would put the caveat on that. I think Emma does stuff when it's convenient to the plot. I mean, she was very, she was the focus of the first half of this season. Uh, I'm talking about the second half of the season. Yeah. I mean, I think, but I think the thing is that like with an ensemble based show, like once upon a time, even though the main impetus was to go down there and get hook, once other characters started getting big storylines, I feel like Emma kind of took a backseat and the writers were okay with that. As a result, she was almost taking a role here that her parents usually would of the person that gets easily duped and is sort of on the sidelines for the past five or so episodes. In a very useless manner, yes. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. Oh, the, it's the, the hashtag is so close to being useless, Emma. That, I'm just gonna, I'm just putting it out that's, there right now. Them's <laughs> fighting words, Kurt. People might come at you with tasers and go, sticks of wood if you say that. Come at me, bro. <laughs> I, I mean, I would, I would agree with you. I feel like, and again, next week shows her actually jumping into action and getting out of the underworld. So I feel like yes. I would almost connect Emma's path here with the plot line of trying to get under out of the underworld. When the plot is, these characters try to escape. Emma's involved and it makes sense and she's in character when it doesn't involve that she's totally not in character and is sort of just an accessory to that plot yes agreed i i i think james got a little too cute here in terms of like, oh yeah oh absolutely oh yeah it was for our anniversary like why, I don't, why do you it was for your birthday oh no it's for your anniversary <laughs> like why guess why do you yeah. even guess? Like, oh, look at this picture. Oh, yeah, that picture. Um, that was from uh, a birthday. Uh, just say, oh, yeah, oh, I love that picture. That's all you have to say, James. <laughs> Maybe James was, secretly was raised in Arendelle because it's apparent that he can't lie at all. Uh, that could be. <laughs> but Emma's still apparently fine with it. So they go out to visit Robin and Baby Hood in the middle of the woods. Uh, so they meet up. Emma sort of monologues about what's going on. David, or should we say David in quotation, slaps the non-magic gauntlet onto Emma and pulls out a gun. Kurt Clark, why are there guns in the underworld? It's just a copy of a artifact that's up in the regular uh, world. But that, that, that's no use. Everyone's dead. You can't, that holds no power. <laughs> But I'm saying is that if this is a perfect copy of Storybrooke, then all the things that were there are also going to be here. It doesn't mean that they all have to be useful. It's just the sheriff station had guns with it. So when you put the sheriff station here, you had, you had guns with it. And um, yeah, and so I'm, I'm fine with that. I don't know. I mean, I think when Hades, you know, wrote the code for Underbrook in a way, he definitely could have skipped a few steps. He did. You don't need guns and other, you know, blunt objects to exist in the underworld because, again, everyone's already dead. These things aren't dangerous. Eh, maybe they had their share of like the occasional live person passing through. I, I sincerely doubt this is the first time a live person has been in, in the underworld. It's, it's, yeah, well, apparently there are so many easy ways to get there that I'm sure you're correct with that. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that like, you know, we haven't seen any fire extinguishers. Have we, you probably need those in the underworld. I don't know. I got nothing. Yeah. Who knows though? Apparently if the flames and the smokestacks are as eternal as they are in New York, they're, they're going to pop up, you know, two blocks down from where they disappeared. Yeah. Um, but we, so do, we, do, we, we do get the, the rest of the story because I was also wondering where is David? David was locked in prison. Though, again, another stupid decision, <laughs> as we'll see when we'll talk about David coming back later on. I do want to talk about Cruella. It's been uh, an unfortunately long time since we've seen her. So now she's back. She has a new plan now that Henry refused to write her basically as alive again. Uh, she's going to get to Hades using the baby of the woman she loves. I also love the Coach Wade-esque hawk screech that happened when Corella pulled in and we get a close-up of her hood ornament. Yeah, I did. I took note of that, too. 
Uh, I just love Cruella so much. I mean, I know that Zelina has become a more humanized character, but I'm happy that we at least have Cruella as sort of the bat poo insane character to hold (laughs) sort of hold that trope down. Yeah, although her, her eye makeup is getting crazier and crazier. Absolutely. Those eyebrows are definitely on fleek. Uh, They started quite small, though. I think the makeup artists are just having too much fun or they're just tired as hell from working these 12 hour days. There you go. (laughs) I also liked when Robin just decides to shoot an arrow in James and this (laughs) pretty disturbing shot of this arrow sticking out of his chest. Good, good speed there. That's like uh, green arrow, uh, you know, levels of speed there in terms of firing the bow. No, another character who died and came back. Spoiler. Spoiler, sorry. sorry. <laughs> I also liked Cruella's. I know, I, I know I'm just listing off things I liked about this scene, but I thought it was a lot of fun, especially when Cruella... Cruella has become the more meta character as well. I mean, she's like, why is it always in the woods with you people? Yeah. Uh, and we've talked, you know, countless numbers of times on this podcast about how it always seems like the climax of things either happen in the town square or in the middle of the woods. So at least Cruella has acknowledged that. So it seems like putting this together, it seems like the whole David taking out, sorry, James taking out David thing was probably cruella's master plan right he's he's just the muscle behind this she's the brains like it was like when she realized that henry wasn't going to write her uh back to life it seems like she convinced him to take out james so that they could find out so that they so that david sorry she convinced James to take out David so that james could accompany emma and find out where zelina's baby was that seems yeah. to be what happened here. And I believe so. And I believe at this point, James and Cruella have gone rogue from Hades because again, Zelina wants oh, yeah. babyhood to herself in order to get to Hades in order to, to ascend uh, or in her case, become a, lo- a living person again. So I think at this yeah. point, even though they were taking out phone boots in the last episode, I think they've grown very tired of Hades as well. And even though they won't directly help the heroes as Hades sort of threatened everybody in that diner last week, they're still not exactly on his side. All right. They're, they're completely wanting to kidnap baby, uh, 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 baby Z, uh, who still is unnamed. Um, to, to basically uh, use it as a bargaining chip. It's like neither in service to the, to Hades nor the, the heroes. Um, I, I, I was really hoping for a really kind of disturbing makeout session between uh, James and Corella, but we did not get that. Well, we, we almost, <laughs> we got it, you know, when David tried to masquerade as James, yeah. which by the way, uh, David does a better job of masquerading as James than the other way around. It seems. Well, I think Corella said that she knew it. And that she was yeah. on to, but she still wanted to make out with him. But at least David didn't say like, oh, yes, you make out as good as that one picnic we had. Don't you remember? I was totally there. But there was, there, I mean, there's several points that were like, Cruella doesn't seem fooled at all. Whereas Emma was like, okay, dad, that's just weird. Or like, yeah, you know, uh, how are we going to find Robin Hood? Um, well, why are you... I'm confused why you're confused, dad. Uh, obviously, he'll find us. Um, well, that's true. But I mean, when you're working with for lack of a better term, dumb Emma. That's a lot easier prey than Cruella. <laughs> true, true. Uh, so did, we go back to, well, we go back you, to the, what did you think oh, of no. the uh, Cru- uh, Cruella punching Emma in the face? Oh yeah, that was, I mean, again, it was the first time the two characters had seen each other. And so Cruella definitely wanted to get some revenge for Emma killing her. So I thought that was a very long seated hit that I, I, I enjoyed. And again, everything Cruella does at this point is basically meant for a laugh and is almost farcical. So I, I think it definitely was on point. Yeah, there we go. On fleek. Dev on fleek, <laughs> just like her eyebrow game. So let's talk about the river of lost souls. It's, it's making an appearance again. Uh, we saw an M 
disintegrated into it last episode. Two episodes ago, Gaston fell into it. It's going to get another resident right now as we have our bro down. Uh, David and Hook swoop in as uh, you know as Robin and Emma are about to be thrown into the river. James, David points out that, of course, you're going to put me in my own jail. I know how to break out, as apparently everyone else does, or else they die in it. <laughs> I was, uh, was going to say, it's... He says, you don't think I don't know how to break. You don't think I know, don't know how to break out of my own jail. I'm like, well, no, if you know how to break out of your own jail, that's actually a problem. Like the, the jail should not be breakable outable of. <laughs> well, I mean, I think they said, like, listen, we have a lot more to deal with on our hands. I don't care if there's some shoddy craftsmanship on this jail cell. So you're already dead. Like, yeah, just stay put. Yeah. Well, plus you need you need like a little bit of fail safe as well. Like, if for example, if someone like Mary Market in season one is erroneously arrested for a crime she didn't commit, she has an easy way to escape. So it works both ways. It it's it's like a real jail cell should not be like an escape room where you have to break out of the jail cell. <laughs> yeah, what do you what do you think his time was on that one? Uh, I think it, uh, hmm, I think it, potentially under an hour. Okay, he, he, yeah, I mean, I he got out in time to proceed to the next part of the story. So, how, how many clues did he have to ask for? Probably all three. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> Who knows? I mean, I think David is the smarter one overall. Uh, David at least seems more of the humanitarian one in this case. As again, James is ready to, th- to throw down. This is the uh, the final countdown, the point of no return, if you will. But David says, you know, hey, we can work it out. We're fine. Uh, but James believes that, sort of like in a realm of Gaston here, in a very violent form of unfinished business he believes that david is his unfinished business and so the only way he can move on either way is to basically kill him right and maybe that's the maybe that's the thing that they look at in terms of the sorting pit uh is like is is not is not like how you've acted in the under it's it's the nature of your unfinished business uh, which is the culmination of maybe everything you've done in the overworld uh, that determines which way you go. Cause I can't imagine, you know, James successfully kills David uh, then proceeds to the sorting pit and <laughs> yeah, and, yeah and, you can go to heaven now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, no, it's, it will, it's one thing. It's like, he has to know it's a, some of these souls have to know that if I if I complete my unfinished business, that does not really paint a good picture of me. And I'm pretty sure I know where I'm going to go. So I'm just going to continue to have my business unfinished. Thank you very much. Yeah. And it brings up a good point about whether the end in this point really does justify the means. Speaking of which, sort of corollary to that, I do have a question from Rachel asking, what exactly is Cruella's unfinished business? And do you think she'll get to move on like Cora, even though she's a villain? And I have to assume that Cruella's unfinished business must be Emma at this point, right? That she feels she needs to kill Emma. I thought it was just like a, a hundred and second Dalmatian. <laughs> well, there's not one coming down there anytime soon. There's lots of kids, a couple horses, no. but not many. I mean, there's a kennel full of dogs. Go Pon- take your pick. We Corolla. don't know where Pongo is. <laughs> we haven't seen him in a while. Yeah. Who knows? Uh, I mean, I, I don't know exactly what our unfinished business is, but at the top of my head, outside from a canine perspective, I can only assume that it's got it got to be. I want to kill the person who killed me. Or it's like getting an apology from the person who killed her. I think maybe it's one of those things where it's, it's like you kind of know, like James had unfinished business with David and it could potentially go one of two ways. And the way that you choose to resolve your unfinished business is what potentially kind of turns you uh, decides which way you go at the end. It's like you get one final, you know, uh, one final chance to make the right decision. Uh, you know, 
Gaston could have as easily you know, forgiven or sought apology from. Um, so maybe that's something Corella, like the, the, the bad path is killing Emma. The good path is, uh, you know, ex- is getting an apology from Emma, but accepting that, you know, she wasn't any real, like, you know, a uh, sunshiny person herself. I don't know. Mm. It's almost, so it's almost like a test almost. a little bit. It's like how you choose to complete your unfinished business in the underworld determines which way you go. So let's get back to our fight here. Uh, they they decide to, to brawl. Emma tries to step in though. David insists, no, I can do it on my own. But when James pulls a knife, you think things are about to get all West side story in here until David. <laughs> now let's compare our throwing into the river here. Kurt uh, bell sort of hip checks Gaston to save her husband and he gets thrown to the river. David pretty intentionally basically picks up his brother and throws him into the river. So I can understand why David's feeling a little guilty about it, but it was definitely more voluntary than what bell did. Yeah. yeah I mean, and yeah, he, he, cause he was in the midst of the fight, whereas bell kind of threw herself in and there's a little bit more chaos going on there. Uh, so I, uh, yeah, a little bit more of a called shot with that one. <laughs> Definitely. And Emma, you know, tries to smooth things over by telling him some people just can never move on. Maybe that connects back to Corella's thing as well. Maybe it's because her unfinished business is almost unattainable at this point that she's always going to be mired down in the underworld. Yeah, potentially, potentially. So let's move to the last scene of the episode here. We jump back to Zelina and Hades. Zelina has basically been given the okay from Regina to go after him. And so Hades has a romantic dinner set up in Granny's with I don't want to set the world on fire playing, which again, if he has ulterior motives, that's quite the ironic song. Uh, Zelina is about to enter when Gold, who's been missing sends that one scene, uh, this is his own way. He comes back and essentially says, I'm going to get revenge on you for basically convincing Belle to put herself to sleep. But since I can't touch you, because let's remember, I think it was in a in Heart of Gold. Uh, I think he made a deal that he wouldn't harm her. Uh, but I know someone who can and Kurt, it's the return as you predicted of Peter Pan. <laughs> yeah. It's like, hi, hi, I'm Zelina. I'm from the half of season three that didn't suck. <laughs> <laughs> season three, a meets season three B. Yeah. It was, uh, it was like, it's, it's, it's so ironic. Cause like Peter Pan's one of my favorite characters, but it was from like one of my, it was my least favorite half season ever for my least favorite setting ever. Um, oh yeah. No, but, but that's, well, that's the, that's the fun of it. It's like saying like, Oh, my favorite reality TV player is like, it's like saying like, Oh, I love Derek Lavasser from big brother 16. <laughs> big brother 16 is a horrible season, but Derek's a great player. Yeah. So it was, I'm, I'm very glad to see Peter Pan back. And it's kind of fun to see these two characters meet, especially like in the, in the olden days, like two episodes ago, three episodes ago, uh, it would have been kind of a little bit of a bashing of egos in terms of which of these people is more evil or more wicked. Whereas I think we've, we've really at this point seen a nice turn, uh, especially after the memories come flooding back to Zelina. Um, we've it's, it's now it's you've, I really kind of feel bad for her. Yeah, definitely. It seemed like, again, she was really set on the right path. She had a great day, even though she said goodbye to her mother that she just met. She basically, you know, put all the water under the bridge, especially with her sister. She was ready to go romance a guy. She had a boyfriend and now she's being kidnapped. Who knows where? I also do like in true Mr. Gold fashion, he gets a loophole out of the deal he made with Zelina in that, hey, I'm not going to touch you. I'm not touching you, but my dad will. <laughs> exactly. Oh, there's this there's all this just brought to light for me how many strange age juxtapositions there are in familiar relations in this show. 
Yeah. Speaking of which, uh, talking about the Korra stuff before I looked it up, I do believe that uh, we did see a younger Korra from Rose McGowan. So it's yeah. not like Barbara Hershey played her the entire time. Right. I just think there's more, there's definitely more of a stretch of, there's a bigger age range when Barbara Hershey plays Korra. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. I, 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 I just figured that she became more mastered in her magic uh, post Rose, post Rose McGowan. <laughs> yes. The everyone's coveted post Rose McGowan period when everyone goes through magical puberty. Yeah. So we get a question. We have another question from Rachel here that connects back to Pan. What are the odds of next episode being about Pan moving on? Now, with Pan back in the picture, I mean, Cora was in the picture. She's moved on. We've seen it with, you know, either going into the river or moving on. We've seen that with basically all of our characters from the past. Sans, basically Cruella at this point, now that James has been thrown into the river. Do you think there's going to be, we only have a few episodes left. Do you think there's going to be a chance of there being an episode about pan and gold and pan going one way or the other? Um, well, there's, I don't think we're going to see pan stuck in the underworld unless we see Hades escape and maybe pan does ascend to the throne. Um, but otherwise we've got but three options to get out of the underworld. It's like you move on through the sorting pit, you get thrown into the river or you actually make it back to the real world, which is what pan ultimately wants. Um, you know, and I don't know that could potentially make for an interesting season six. If it's Hades and pan battling each other for control of Storybrooke, uh, kind of it's, it's you, we seldom have see, we'll often see baddies joining forces to, uh, fight our heroes, but it's not often that you see, uh, these evil forces battling each other. Um, so it's, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't necessarily think, we'll see him move on. I think we're going to be more likely to see him actually succeed in his plans to move back to Storybrooke. Yeah. And you brought up a good point that that's Pan's ultimate goal. Almost like Cruella is to become mortal again, almost like Hades and get back to the real world. So if it does end with Hades leaving and Pan taking the throne, I feel like ruling the underworld is a position that none of the characters want to do at this point. And so I feel like that would almost be an ironic punishment for Pan is that he has to stay down there as the ruler. It's not going to be a position that he's going to want to hold. Yeah. yeah, Cause we I keep forgetting that, you know, again, in Greek mythology, this was Hades realm. He, he, you know, kind of chose it. Whereas here it's really set up as his punishment. Um, uh, but maybe it is, I don't know. We don't know if it's one of those things where it does kind of have to, uh, is he going to have to do the Hades apprentice thing and pick his successor? Um, I don't know. Yeah. I just, I'm not completely sure, but I just don't see him necessarily moving on. He, he, he doesn't really seem to be interested in any sort of completion of something in the underworld like Gaston and James were his sole focus is to escape the underworld. So we, it, it doesn't seem like unless there's something about reforming a relationship with the sun or something that we haven't seen yet, he, he doesn't seem like he's in a position to be uh, uh, finishing some business. Hades definitely seems like enough of a hothead to lead an apprentice franchise. No comment. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else you want to talk about this episode before we dive into some more questions and theories from the listeners? No, let's move on. All right. So we are in our theory Brooke session. Uh, thanks as always for the comments from last week's podcast. We have a couple questions about this episode, a couple of general theories, uh, regarding last week. Uh, we have a couple of thoughts here. One is from Kat Smith 
asking, is there any possibility that Lily's dragon father is in Underbrook? Now, obviously, one of the big questions from season four was, who is Lily's father? And we talked last week about how the creator said, hey, this is something we'll get to eventually. And we have every trust in them that they will, whether that be season six or season 10 at (laughs) this point. What do you think the chances are that maybe Lily's storyline becomes more immediate and that Lily's dragon father, her true father, is down here in the underworld? Zero. Yeah. Uh, I I honestly think that you know, for Lily's father to be in the underworld, to make sense from a story perspective, we'd have to get Lily to the underworld. And I just don't see with her not being included at all in the front half or the back half of season five. I don't see her suddenly coming out of nowhere. Um, this is all also built on the assumption that we're not going to be in the underworld in season six. I think we're going to completely escape the underworld in season five. Uh, and if we do that, well, at the way at the rate we're going, who knows? It might be season seven before we get out of the underworld. We definitely. We're in here a lot longer than we thought that we would be. Um, it, it's, it's approaching Netherland uh, Neverland, uh, lengths of, of presence. Um, but, I actually think if we get into episode, because I think there might be actually 23 episodes this season, 23 hour length episodes. If we get to episode 21, we actually by no, episode numbers might be here longer than we were in Neverland. Exactly. Um, so just from the fact that they would only put her, her father in the underworld, if she was going to come to the underworld or we were going to stay in the underworld to explore that. Um, it, the, the exception is if, when we've seen this happen before, when everybody escapes the underworld, something comes back with it and it turns out it's Lily's father. Then, but that's more of a, Oh, he was in the underworld all along, but he doesn't actually become a relevant character until he's in the, the overworld. That's, I mean, I can, that's a possibility, yeah. but I, I, I just don't see it happening. I mean, I could, I could see that though. Again, I didn't think we would see that much of Zelina this half season until randomly she appeared a few episodes ago during our decay and then fell through the portal. And I know that there's only a few episodes left. Maybe if this is earlier on in the season, I could see it being a possibility. But for now, I'll agree with you. At this point in the season, I feel like everyone needs to get a move on and get the heck out of the underworld, get the heck out of hell, if you will, even though it's, I know it's not exactly hell. And so I think that they might shove some other stuff to the side as they're working towards that ultimate point. Uh, we had a question from Dana regarding Charming Sacrifice and sending Snow up to the real world, which I also have a correction to issue. I know last week we'd say like, oh yeah, this makes sense. Jennifer Goodwin's on maternity leave and Emily Duravin's on maternity leave. Jennifer Goodwin apparently was not on maternity leave. Apparently she left for a couple weeks to do a press tour for Zootopia, which was coming out during that time. So I, I think it's open-ended, but there's a good chance we might see her back at the end of this season. We shouldn't be too, too surprised about that. Yeah, I think she'll... Um, I think she'll- snow will be there when they make their way back to the underworld or to make, make their yeah. way out of the underworld. And maybe she'll be a, a key, you know, maybe it involves getting back to the real world involves like a person from the other end, almost like everyone turning their keys at the same time. And so snow will be important in that regard, which means it's something that she can do while she's sitting because man, she must be one of the hardest working pregnant women. I know considering that she's still working on this like show and doing a press tour while still extremely pregnant. Yeah. It's, is she, but she, she's, She's she's going through a lot. Let her, let her do the Zootopia tour. That's fine. Definitely. But Dana asks, should Charming and Snow be allowed to leave the underworld at all if they share a heart and one person has to stay down there? Now, we forget sometimes that in, at the end of season three, it was revealed that they had to kill Charming, essentially, to get that dark curse going to eradicate Zelina's power in the Enchanted Forest. and But to save David's life, 
her him and snow share a heart now since they still do so was charming and or snow allowed to leave the underworld because i guess it comes down to semantics as to whether them sharing a heart means they're technically one person yeah, it's. I'm sure we can go back through since the heart splitting episode and find more instances of um, things that should have potential. If 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 it if it does indeed of treat you as one person, then there's probably several things that should have happened that that didn't. Um, I thought this was a really interesting question. Maybe it goes to the whole like. Uh, uh, you know, heart versus soul. Maybe are there souls trapped here. Do they still have yeah. separate souls? I, I'm not sure. I, it's, I don't have the answer. Um, but my initial reaction when I saw that posted on the, uh, on the message board was, uh, possibly is that, is that an oversight? But then like part of me was also wondering, well, it's not necessarily the hearts that, uh, keep people that, that, that define people here. So, um, I'm going to give it a pass for now, but I thought it was a really insightful question. No, I think what you said before hit the nail on the head in terms of it's a matter of heart versus soul. And obviously that is a question that is much larger than a podcast about once upon a time. But for the sake of this canon, I believe that they're two separate things so that if even though they're sharing a heart from a from a metaphysical perspective, they're not sharing a soul. And so from that perspective, from their souls being weighed, which I feel like the underworld is very dependent upon, they're two different people in that regard. Yeah, I'll go with that. So to finish things off, let's hear, as always, from Ori Kohav. Uh, Ori wants to talk a little bit more about the river of lost souls, that ever-enigmatic river. Uh, So he says, we all know what happens to a dead soul that falls into the river, but what happens if a living soul falls in there? I think that's the way to free dead souls from there, and that could be the freedom of Aunt Em and or Mila and or Gaston and or James, etc., etc. So yeah, I mean, James and Corella's big plan was to throw Robin and Emma in the river, but do we have any assumptions as to what would happen if they fell into the river and would they suffer a different fate than the others that have went in before them? I mean, all we really have to go on is, um, uh, you know, when they went to rescue hook and had to, and I think was, I think when basically, I know even then Hades was telling hook, you know, don't touch this water. Your soul's gone forever. Um, he wasn't really saying that to somebody who is technically, you know, alive. He wasn't saying it to like the, one of the heartbeaters. <laughs> um, so not entirely sure. Uh, so short answer. No, we don't know. Uh, conjecture. It would still be bad. Uh, yeah. and I, I go so far as, and I, and I, I don't think that, uh, doing so is going to free anybody who's been put in there. We're not going to see Mila or James or Gaston or Antium anymore. They're gone. Bye-bye. No. So yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty sure the writers definitely did not leave things open-ended. I don't think there's going to be a thing where like Hades gets defeated and then all the people that were in the river suddenly poof back onto land and they're good again. Unfortunately, as dark as it may be, I think or, they're done for. Or David jumps in, but gets in, but what saves him is that Auntie M's soul inhabits his body and he comes leaping out. So now it's David's body with Auntie M inside of him. Oh man. That's a, that's an even soapier storyline of yeah. the, the soul in someone else's body. There we go. <laughs> all right so if you guys have any thoughts questions theories etc about once upon a time we would absolutely love to hear you as we did throughout the course of this podcast there's a bunch of ways you can always respond to us uh, feel free to leave comments here on the post show recaps podcast page while you're here on post show recaps please make sure you subscribe to us on itunes you can go to post show slash once itunes while there rate us review us 
We'd love it. Uh, as always, you can talk to us on Twitter. Kurt is at Kurt Clark. I am at a Mike Bloom type. While you're here, all sorts of great stuff going on on post-show recaps. I know Better Call Saul just finished up, but Seinfeld's still going. Game of Thrones, that juggernaut just started. Fear of the Walking Dead is coming along as well. And speaking of post-show recaps, uh, shilling out a little bit of publicity for us, uh, post-show recaps is looking to be nominated for a podcast award this year. So if you could, if you enjoy what we're doing and you want to see us rewarded for it, almost for us to ascend to our own Olympus, if you will, uh, go to podcastawards.com and please nominate post-show recaps in the TV and film category. We would greatly appreciate it. Uh, To finish things off here, Kurt Clark, what's a hashtag for people who have made it all the way to the end of the podcast? Well, I'm not going to go with uh, hashtag useless Emma because I already know that I'm getting hate mail. Um, yes. <laughs> but I, I kind of like straight out of Storybrooke. <laughs> Definitely. Look, that's this is probably the the least white I'm ever going to be. There so making, making a straight out of Compton reference. So I'm going to relish it. Okay. Uh, so hashtag straight out of Storybrooke, you said? Out of. Straight out of Storybrooke. Straight out of story. I did not get the vernacular correct. Yeah. Straight out of Storybrooke. Yeah. Perfect. So we'll be back. We will be back next week for episode 20 of season five. Can't believe 20 episodes down. Only a few more to go. Thank you guys, as always, for listening. And remember, if you read a Craigslist ad about being an, un- an unnamed henchman, uh, be prepared to get paid in flour. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. <laughs>